Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 8. <clears throat> this past summer, uh, we were at a summer camp. Uh, I was able to preach some there and uh, when we were on vacation in Newfoundland. And uh, I was sitting down with a good friend of mine, Pastor Boyd Stansford. He started the camp. I actually helped him. That was many years ago. Helped him start. He was really the, the leader of it and things. And Helping them out. We were sitting and chatting, you know, catching up on old times and things. And uh, my son Matthew was around talking and things. And, you know, when you're six or seven, it's pretty easy to use the word bored a lot, isn't it? I'm bored. And uh, so Pastor uh, Stansford said, why don't you go, Matthew, and lead the kids in uh, a game of ball. There was a bunch of balls. And without even... Blinking an eye, he looked at Pastor Stansford and said, Pastor Stansford, I'm not really good at eatering. He drops the L's and put Y's in. That's why it says yeetering, okay? And uh, we started laughing because he used that term yeetering. And the reality is, none of us are really good at leading. We need to follow Jesus. We need to follow Him. Now, some of us say, well, yeah, I got it all together. I, I think I know what I'm doing. The reality is, if you're doing it outside Jesus Christ, you're in big trouble. You need to follow Christ. And that's the time my message this morning is, follow me. And not me, Jesus. All right? Follow Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter number 8, and we're going to start in verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him uh, and with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall a profit a world, uh, man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another opportunity we have to be together. Thank you for these dear folks. And Lord, I pray that we'll be encouraged this morning to follow you. Uh, Lord, we, there's so many voices declaring that we should follow them. Lord, allow us to listen to your still, small voice that says, follow me. And Lord, help us to be servants, followers of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last Sunday morning, we examined how Jesus had revealed his identity to his disciples and told them who he was. They, they weren't really excited about the notion that he would go die and things of that nature. They, they missed the raising from the dead. They just think of him dying. They were very upset about that. And as soon as that information is given, Jesus now, in this verse, calls the disciples to come unto him and those that are around, the crowd that will be close by, and Jesus begins to speak to them. And he tells the crowd that gathered there that day that there is a price attached to being his follower. The words of Jesus in this verse, or these verses, shred the idea of an easy, feel-good religion that's promoted in our world today. Christianity is... I mean, I'm not saying... We have it easy compared to a lot of the world, right? North America. 
Some of you are from places that you tell me how you live, I'd be shocked. I can't believe, how can you live that way? Just your, that's where you were born, that's where you lived, and you moved to, immigrated to Canada, and you would say, it's so much better here. Yes, that is easier living, but the Christian life is not easy and, and roses. It's not all, sometimes it is. Isn't it great when it happens? You know, you're greatly blessed or whatever, but what Jesus is trying to refer to here and telling these people is, it's not all about feeling good. There's a price. There's a price. And sadly, many believe that they can have Jesus and the world today. They say, oh, I have a little bit of Jesus and I have a whole lot of the world or a lot of Jesus and a little... No, it's one or the other. You can't have both. And they claim to be followers of Christ while they live lives as they please and live lives as they please that are not even in accordance to God's Word. Totally contrary. Jesus lets us know very plainly in these terms, in very plainly terms, sorry, that that is utterly false, that you can follow me and live like you want. If a person is going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there, there's a price to be paid. Now, that's, this message is not going to be uh, highly popular with most of the world because the world doesn't want to pay a price. And sadly, a lot of Christians don't either. We need to be willing to follow Jesus. Jesus shares with the disciples and those that were there that day. In verse 34, Jesus shares the pattern. You know, uh, we, we, have you ever heard of public relation, public relation managers? Have you ever heard of that term? You know, that the person's there to help manage the public relation of a politician, whatever. If Jesus had one, they would quit right now. Because this message is, is not popular, right? It's not popular. Follow me. Follow me and, and deny yourself and so many other things that we'll look at. Every time Jesus will check a, a larger gathering, He will tell them the high cost of following Him. And you know what happens, right? Poof! People disappear. People disappear. And Jesus did that so they would know the truth and He wanted to know that it's not cheap. Not easy. You need to follow me. But it's not cheap. Come after me. In verse number 34, when Jesus said these words, these men surely recalled the disciples when they were at various stations. Some were fishermen. Uh, and one was a, a Levi was a collector of money and things. And so they, they remember when Jesus came by their station of life and said, follow me. Follow me. They left family, friends, occupations and lived with Jesus, go with Jesus, uh, go. And this is a call of service, of commitment. The rest of the crowd, they still need to be saved. It's called a new birth. This is what Jesus, come follow me. It was time to make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. It was a call to turn their backs on everything else and follow Jesus alone. That's what he was calling out. And I know there's different terminologies that are out there today. Being born again, getting saved, and you know, and there's other words that they use, but it's far more than praying a prayer, isn't it? It's far more, more than that. You know, a lot of people come to the altar, they pay a prayer, they can profess to know Jesus, but true salvation is going to bring about a radical commitment to leave the old life and follow Jesus. That's, that's always a litmus test if someone knows Jesus Christ. Uh, we can know them by the fruit that they bear. I don't go around saying this person saved, that person saved. I don't do that. But I can see, and you can see, how they live. 
To live honoring Jesus Christ. Because we're told in God's Word that Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, things changed. They changed. I can remember when I got saved. I remember that conviction in my heart. I heard the message many times before, but I can remember clearly uh, on that April day in 1996, that conviction was there. The Holy Spirit was working on my heart. And I understood that without Jesus Christ, I had no hope. I was lost. And I understood from God's Word that I was a sinner lost. And if I didn't change, if I didn't accept Him as my Savior, then I was going to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. I was shown the Scripture. I understood that I needed to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, there's importance to repentance. The idea of repentance, we don't sit down when we get saved and write down all the bad things we did. Because you can't remember them. The reality of repentance is that we change, that we're no longer believing in this system. We're whatever it is that we're trusting in. We trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's what repentance is. It's turning from from whatever it is to Jesus. And I put my full faith and trust in Him that He is my Savior. Now, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart, but the prayer didn't save me. It was my decision to trust in Him. That's what it was. And that's what Jesus is telling these folks here. Follow me. And true salvation, when it happens, it makes a radical change in the life of that person. They act differently. Now, they don't know when you get saved, God doesn't download a file in your mind of all the biblical truth, does He? That's discipleship. That's what the church is here for, to help in that process. You know, encouraging people to know the truth and showing them the truth. But I know that when you get saved, things change. I see pictures, uh, uh, this was... We're in a digital age now, so the old photo album is becoming like the old dustbin, right? You don't see too many of them anymore. When you do, you open them up and you're flipping through. It feels so nostalgic and things. And uh, My parents have all kinds of photo albums in their home. And I, we go back every once in a while. I don't do it so much now, but my kids love looking at me as a baby. Don't understand why, but they do. And I remember one day sitting down with them looking through the photo album. I guess it was this past summer. And here was... Little Mark on my dad's chest in the bed, and dad was smoking and there was beers all around. I didn't know any difference. I'm just happy to be in a picture, smiling and everything else. That's before my dad got saved. And then a few years later, obviously not categorized in the photo album, there's another picture of me, just a few years older. Dad's got a nice haircut, and dad's looking sharp, got his Sunday best on, he's got his Bible in his hand, we're going to church. There's no cigarettes. There's no alcohol. He's trying to do his best for Jesus Christ. Change. Change. Now, did my dad in those two years from where I was sitting on his chest and then the next time we're going to church have everything figured out? No. And he'd be the first to tell you. But when you know Jesus, things change. 
He's just, he's in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you and it convicts you of sin. Says, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. You need to do this. And when you come to Jesus Christ and you accept Him as your Savior, you want to follow Him. You want to follow Him. And where Jesus is is where you desire to be. That's why Christians ought to want to come to church. Amen? They should want to. Uh, you know, I, I, I have questions for a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to go to church. Why not? Why not be in church? Be a place to be encouraged and, and, and edified to serve the Lord, encourage other believers. It's just an amazing place. Come after me. Deny himself. <clears throat> in verse number 34 as well. Deny himself. It literally means to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from someone else. It's the same word used to describe Peter's denial of Jesus outside the high priest's home in Matthew chapter 26. Now, denying self is not the same as self-denial. Now, self-denial would say, uh, I withhold certain things from myself. So, my family growing up, my mom's side of the family are Catholic. So, every Friday it's fish. And I remember this one time going to my aunt's house and my aunt, so we have this dinner in Newfoundland called Jig's Dinner, okay? We don't actually jig, okay? We don't dance around the table. We don't do anything like that. It's just called Jig's Dinner. And she makes the best. I mean, I'm pretty sure I feel my arteries hardening as I eat that food. It's just, it's so, I don't know if it's really healthy at all, but it tastes great. And at any rate, I was so excited to get to her house because whenever I come, my Aunt Amelia would always make me this Jake's dinner piece. I would rave about it, okay? Uh, I rave about food with everybody I meet just like I do with the church, okay? So just letting you know. So I, I showed up at her house and I was so excited. Aunt Amelia, are you making that Jake's dinner? And she looked at me and goes, Mark, it's Friday. I'm like, so? It's fish. <clears throat> okay. I'm glad I'm having fish today. I changed my attitude real quick. And at the idea, I mean, it's, if you want to do that, it's fine. I'm not promoting that. That is a, you know, an edict that came from the church and things, but they deny themselves of meat to eat fish. That is not denying self. Denying yourself for Jesus Christ. Denying self is far more intense. It means, implies that you stop listening to your own voice and you listen to somebody else's. So in this context, Denying self and stop listening to your own heart and desire and you listen to what Jesus has for you. When I truly deny myself, I follow only His will. I have no plans but His plans. When I deny myself, I give up myself, I relinquish control of my life and I give it to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We need to deny ourselves and follow Him. You know, most religions and most popular ministries today focus on catering to self. That's why they grow. You understand that? 
If, if I started saying our ministry is all about self, self, we'd have more people come, but that's not going to save them, is it? That's giving them a false gospel. That's giving them a false message. They want that feel good about themselves. Uh, they they want to be built up in the, their self-esteem. And listen, I'm not here to tear down your self-esteem, but it's your self-esteem is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. You need Him. I mean, seriously, folks, that is the answer to our country, to our world, is Jesus. You know, I, I, I watched a little bit last night as I was doing some dishes of the shenanigans of the party thing last night. You know, and they weren't given the results. And then this morning I heard that uh, Doug Ford is the new... PC leader. That's great. Ontario needs Jesus. That's who they need. It's Jesus. If we would just listen and follow and deny ourselves and accept Him, that's what we need is Jesus. We don't need a political Messiah. We have as a Messiah and it's Jesus. And we need to follow Him. We need to deny ourselves and follow Him. Oh, Jesus wants mankind to know that without Him, they can do nothing. Now, that doesn't really help your self-esteem, does it? John 15.5 says, For without Me, you can do nothing. We need Jesus. We can't do anything on our own, but with Jesus, we can do something. We need Him. Jesus is calling those who claim Him as their Savior to put Him in absolute control of their life in every area. He wants to rule and reign in our hearts and lives. And you know what I found out? When He does, it's the best for us. Because we might say, oh, just like Matthew said last summer, I'm not a very good leader. But when we want to be, we do lead ourselves, don't we? Well, we need to continue giving the Lord the, the, lead, the reins of our heart and get in the back. And let Him lead us. And let Him show us the way. Take up His cross. The next part. You know, I don't know how many times I've read this portion of Scripture. I mean, I've read through Mark many times. You know, I enjoy reading the Bible. I've read this portion. But I never really thought about it in this context as I, you know, preparing this message and I read some books and I was doing some research. This phrase would have meant so much to people in that day. Now, I don't know exactly how they came up with this figure, but scholars, historians estimate that during the life of Jesus, 30,000 people would have been crucified. I, I don't know how they find those records. and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trusting them to know. But when he said this to these people, these people knew that the Romans liked to crucify people and it was nothing they wanted to be involved with. They, when they heard Jesus speak those words, he, they knew exactly what he was saying. In that day, a cross was not a piece of jewelry. It wasn't decoration in a church building. A cross was an instrument of shame, humiliation, and death. Totally different than what we think about the cross, isn't it? I mean, sure, we think about the cross that Jesus died on, but these people saw people die on a cross. They saw how bad it was. When a man took up his cross, when a man or a woman, whoever it was, took up a cross, it was their death march. They didn't get down from the cross. That was it. There was nothing else. It was the last walk. 
When a man took up his cross, he carried the instrument of his own death on his own shoulders. And when he reached his destination, he was laid down on that cross uh, that he had carried. He was nailed to it. He suffered on it. And he died on it. And Jesus calls his people to take up their cross. And when he said that, those people knew exactly what he was talking about. This wasn't cheap. When Jesus tells his disciples to take up his cross and follow him, he's calling us to die to ourselves. He's calling us to be committed to the way he would want us to live. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 He's calling us to willingly bear the shame the humiliation, and even the death that may be associated with following Him. You know, when we take up the cross, we choose the narrow way over the wide way, don't we? We're saying we're going to follow Jesus. We accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're on the narrow path. We're not on the large path to destruction. We're on the the right road. But when you take up your cross... And follow Jesus, you're supposed to live the way the Lord won't have you live, right? And it can be a temptation in our own personal lives and maybe in our business relationships to maybe be a little bit easy to compromise and make things easier. I'm so glad that my dad showed me and my family that I'm not going to compromise on my belief for Jesus Christ. I remember working with my dad and he owns a mechanic shop. He's almost out of that now. He's semi-retired. He's hoping to get out of it this year. But I can remember working in a garage. And if you worked in a garage, you know, you meet some really people with some very limited vocabulary. And that vocabulary is mostly cuss words. And I remember this one guy coming into that shop and he was, man, he was saying stuff that I never heard before. My dad said, hey, that's not going to happen in here. I don't think that guy was ever told that this is not going to happen. You know, and I remember another time this guy, my, my dad walked in the store, the, the guy was uh, at the front, you know, talking to his friend and they were using some colorful language again. And my dad walked in and he's going to serve them and they stopped and they started apologizing to my dad. My dad's like, what do you apologize? My dad's almost deaf so he didn't hear what they were saying. And they're like, oh, well, we know that you're a Christian. I'm like, praise the Lord, Dad. That's that's a wonderful testimony that you, you you're not going to compromise and I, and just say okay whatever and I, every business is different. I'm not telling you how to run yours. I just saw it from my own dad. I remember when they had their 20th anniversary on one of the major intersections in you know outlying area of St. John's. They put a big sign up with a big Bible verse giving God the glory. It's like Dad. That's great. That's awesome. Saying, we're giving God the glory. We're not going to compromise what we believe. You need Jesus. Every Christmas, Jesus is the reason of the season, right up on the front. That's wonderful. But there is a temptation for us to compromise, isn't there? Of course, we're human. But we need to understand that we shouldn't. We should not want to do that. Uh, We need to make sure we're telling the truth. 
Uh, sometimes it might be easier to tell a lie to save face. No, let's tell the truth. Let's not be compromising with the world to avoid being singled out and being humiliated. Didn't our Savior be humiliated for us? He certainly did. Taking up a cross means you're willing to identify with Jesus Christ. Follow me. Verse, then in verse 34, follow me. The true disciple of Jesus turns his back on himself and his own life. And the true disciple of Jesus takes up his cross and is willing to lay down everything for the glory of God. And that's an ongoing action. Constantly following. Every day following. So on Saturday, you're living the same way as you would on Sunday. And on Monday, you're living the same way you should be on Sunday. You know, the idea is that I'm a Christian on the weekend and the weekday I'm not. Or maybe on the weekend I'm a bad person till Sunday morning. I'll go, no, you're living the same way all the time. That's going to help us have a great testimony for Jesus Christ. Folks, it costs something. Let's just be honest. I don't hang around with those old chums I had back before I got saved because even though they, they were good friends and stuff, but when I got saved, I, the Lord changed my heart and I'm not with them anymore because they won't follow Jesus. Now, that's a pretty small cost, isn't it? Really, in, significant, in, in the real big realm of life, it is a small thing, but the reality is it's going to cost you something. It might cost you some persecution. Can we honestly say that we are committed to what Jesus would have for us to do? We need to examine our priorities so that Jesus is first place in our life. If you think going to church and doing a few religious things are enough to secure you a place in heaven, you have been deceived, my friend. This church is not getting you to heaven. I love this church. I love what we do and reach people. But it was not us that says it's Jesus. And you need Him if you have not received Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Genuine salvation brings about a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. It changes you. Genuine salvation is through faith, through grace alone, and it produces dramatic changes to all that receive it. Verses 35 to 37, we see Jesus declares a paradox. In these three verses, He designed to teach us the spiritual side of our lives uh, more than the material side. And uh, that's not the way most people think. They think material first, right? That's how they think. They spend their entire lives, people, trying to take care of the physical and material needs of life, and they give very little attention to the spiritual side of life. And Jesus is trying to point out that that's the most important thing is the spiritual side. That's the most important. The way to save your life is to lose in verse 35. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall be saved. This verse is a paradox. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself. But it's still true. Jesus says that if you believe that you're having your own way, living your life on your own terms and being your own Lord is more important than surrendering to His will, to His leadership, to His Lordship, you will lose your life. That's what He's saying. However, if you will yield your life to Him, give up total control over all you have and are to Him, you will actually save it. From a human perspective, that makes no sense. 
But from a spiritual point of view, it makes the greatest amount of sense. It makes the only sense. You have a choice. You can live your life as you see fit. You can refuse to come to Jesus as for your for your Savior, for salvation. You can call your own shots. You can be your own boss. You can do as you please, live your life on your own terms. But in the end, you will lose your life. That's what the... I believe the Word of God, and that's what the Word of God tells us right here in this verse. You can't get around it. When you reach the end of your way, you'll find that there is nothing but then eternally separated from Jesus Christ in a place called hell. On the other hand, you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you deny yourself your will, you give up your rights, you surrender His will to His will and follow Him faithfully. Now, you know, understand, once you're saved, you're always saved. Being faithful is important, but it doesn't keep you saved. But we should be faithful, Amen. The Bible tells us once we're saved, we're forever in His hand, and it should be the desire of every Christian to live for Jesus. At the end of the way, at the end of this day, at the end of your life, if that is where you are, you'll find that you've gained heaven. You've gained eternity with Jesus. And the unbelievable, incomprehensible heaven... I know I've talked to some people in our church about that, and we end up leaving conversations with our heads spinning because we can't get our mind around heaven because it's a wonderful place beyond description. And that's our home. That's our destination. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Those who lose their lives by giving them up for Jesus, we don't lose anything. We gain everything. We don't lose. We gain. In verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Imagine for a moment that you possess the whole world. The whole world is your room. It's yours. All the riches that are in it. You can do anything you want. Anytime you want. Be anything you want to be. Go anywhere you want to go. Imagine you're the absolute ruler of all things material. For some people, they would want that job. Now imagine at the end of that experience of having everything and being everything and doing everything as you please that you die because all men die. And you imagine yourself, after you die, you find yourself forever in a place called hell. Was the pleasures of this world worth that? Think of the story that Jesus told Luke chapter 16, the man that lived his life in the lap of luxury, then he died and went to hell. And when he arrived, all the money, all the pleasure, and all the power he had enjoyed in his life were useless to him. Were useless. He had lost his soul, thus he had lost everything. Now let's be more realistic. Most people in this room, nobody in this world is going to possess the riches of all the world. That's not going to happen. We know that. But let's just say, in your own power, you're able to eke out a, a dream for your life. Now you still suffer, you still have problems and things, but you're able to pay the bills. Maybe you, you do the Canadian dream. You own your own home and, and then you retire and, you know, you have grandkids or whatever the case. I mean, you live the dream. 
but you never accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You lived life on your terms. But when you die, because all men die, you don't go to heaven according to the Word of God. And we believe the Word of God to be true. You go to hell. Where is the profit in that? What have you gained? You have gained nothing. You have lost everything. That's why all men need Jesus. What's the worth of the soul, of your soul? You know, your body will die, your soul will live on. Amen? That's what the Word of God tells us. And it'll live on either in hell or heaven. Either one. You don't get halfway and say, no, I'm good here. You have no determination over that. What determines where you go is what you determine here in life. That's the only two places. So what's your soul worth? Are you willing to trade your eternal soul for alcohol, drugs, sexual relationships, uh, do whatever you please on your own terms for what, a couple decades? And then for eternity be lost? That's, that's not a wise investment. We would all agree with that. That's a really bad play. That's a horrible thing to do. You know, if you don't, if you take your final breath and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the eternity is lost for you. But the great news is that you can have Jesus and He's for all men. He's for all. He's just not for a select few like some horrible, damnable heresies that are preached today that just a few people are chosen. No, Jesus Christ died for everybody. He died for all men, and all men can come to Him. Come to Jesus' day and, and, and trade this, you know, trade, dump this life and see what Jesus will bring you. And we don't do it for that. We do it because we know we're lost. Without Him, we have no hope. That's why we trust Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard of Charlemagne, the king of the Franks. Again, I like my history. and I read this. I could not find... I was looking for some support for this. I read this in a book. And uh, I went online. I couldn't find, but I couldn't find any supporting information. But the man who told me, I, I I did do some more. I found another good man who found the same story. So I believe this to be true. But you won't find it on Google because I looked to see if I could find it yesterday. Uh, he was a. I mean, I think you know that he was a king of the Franks. Had a great empire in a sense of large empire. Uh, he in a thousand A.D. they opened up his tomb. You know, the tomb raiders, you know, taking stuff out of the tomb and taking off the gold or whatever it was buried with the man. The king had been dead for about 180 years, and when they opened up the tomb, they found great treasure. Lots of treasure. But they actually found another amazing sight. They found the skeleton of Charlemagne sitting on a throne with a crown that now sitting on a skull. And with his bony hands of a skeleton... In his hands was the Word of God, the Bible, and his pointing finger was pointing to the text, For what shall a profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's pretty pointed, 
hard to believe story that a man of great wealth and great ability at the end realized that this does not matter. It's Jesus. I, I, I can't produce it. I mean, he had all kinds of wealth. He was royalty. He had robes. He had riches. But that did not determine where he was going for eternity because that's dependent upon your choice if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you and I reach the end of our earthly journey, nothing we have accomplished or achieved in this life will change the next outside of accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'll be honest, folks. I want to see lots of people get saved. Last night, I was sitting in my chair in my basement and I was praying people get saved. Not that term, that exact wordage, but I was praying for people to get saved. I want to see, I want to see all these chairs filled up with people. I want to see people get saved. I want to see lives changed. I, I want to see all those things, but it doesn't matter if I've reached a thousand people or a hundred people. I want to reach as many as I can. What changes where I go is through Jesus Christ. You can have the biggest company in the world. You can make the greatest amount of money. You can have this. You can have that. But at the end of the day, it matters about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse number 38. Jesus pronounces the penalty. Whoso therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father. Jesus has words for those who reject his message. He refers to those who are ashamed of him and his words. That word ashamed in this context means unwilling or restrained because of fear of shame, ridicule, or disapproval. It refers to those who will not come to Jesus for salvation and who will not follow Him because they refuse to accept Him or His message. Sadly, there's lots of people like that today in our world. When a person comes to Jesus Christ and begins to follow Him, there is the price to be paid. Believers reject the world and its ways and choose instead to walk with Jesus. And there will be reproach. Some will not be readily accepted. And maybe for some there will be persecution for the cause of Christ. I'm thinking of our North America situation. In other parts of the world, yeah, you know Jesus Christ and you proclaim it. You're as good as dead. I was just reading this week of a fellow pastor I know in the States who was witnessing to a, a young man, oh, he's not young anymore, uh, but as a young man in Thailand, he watched people be burnt to death because they believed in Jesus. Yeah. Persecution can come. Not everyone's willing to pay such a price. Those who refuse to come to Jesus and live a separate life prove that they want no part of Him or His message and they will face the terrible judgment. Jesus talks about right here. You won't accept me. I won't, you know. There's no hope. If you don't have me as your Savior, there is no other Savior. If you acknowledge Him, they'll face judgment. Now, I understand as believers, we face suffering, don't we? I mean, there's different things that we face. And it's not always fun. It's not always easy. And, and, our, and especially in our North American society, we don't face that persecution. Though we see opposition to Christianity growing every day, we don't see that persecution. 
and we have problems in life, though. But the reality is, true believers, when we enter heaven, what's that going to matter? Really? What's that going to matter? You're not going to remember anymore. You're in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're in the presence of the Savior for eternity. That lost person, on the other hand, when they're done this world, the one to come is not enjoyable. It's horrific. It's not anywhere that any of us want anyone to go. And I think you, I already know your answer, which one would you prefer? We all prefer heaven. That's why when people die, they're like, I hope they're in heaven. No one wants to go to hell. Well, the only way, the, the gateway to heaven is Jesus Christ. Only through Him. It's only through Him. You know, a person can come and attend our church every Sunday that we have service. They can occupy the same pew every Sunday. It'll cost them nothing. We're not going to charge for them to come to church or anything of that nature. But our church is not going to get you to heaven. I certainly hope that every service you're in our church, you'll hear how to get to heaven, amen, as through Jesus Christ. I think I said that 15 times this morning. I say it because I mean it and it's true and it needs to be repeated. You know, others of us here this morning, we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're, we're working hard. We're, we're trying to do what's right. And we maybe we get some reproach from the enemies of Christ. and Maybe we, we, we have a little bit of a pushback. Well, keep serving Jesus. Be faithful. Keep following Him. It costs something to be a true believer. It costs something to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. You know what I find? Jesus demands our all. He's not looking for 90% of whoever you are. He's looking for 100% of who you are. He wants all of you. A genuine discipleship demands nothing less than we denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. He's the way. Join the church. It's great, but it'll cost you nothing. But if you don't know Jesus, then what's the sense of joining the church? Coming to Jesus Christ will cost you, but it changes everything. And I can remember on that April day in 1996, I knew that without Jesus Christ, I was going places that I should never go. Oh, I gave my life to Him. It cost me something. I followed Him. And I'm telling you today that it's worth every step of the way. That's not to say I've had it easy. And some of you would tell me the same thing. I haven't had it. It's not been a, a banquet every day. It hasn't been fluffy all the time. And that's fine. It's not supposed to be. But Jesus changes everything. I would encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do that today. Do it today. And believer, just as 
Jesus taught the disciples in this passage, in the first verse, for the 34 that we looked at this morning. He says, follow me. Follow me. Are we following Jesus in our life? Oh, we've made a decision that we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. Yes, 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 we've made that decision. And we're His, eternally His. We can never be removed from the family. We're always in the family. But are you following Him? Have you, are you, are you following Him? Or are you trying to do it your way? Oh, I'm going to try to do it my way and see how it goes for me. Hey, it's going to lead down to a road that you're going to wish you had never went. Following Jesus is the best course. It's His course. It's not Pastor Alcock's course. It's not that something Pastor Alcock found in some books. It's not what Pastor Teeson I mentioned in the past. It's God's Word. He says, follow Me. Are you?